You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Merry Christmas. Turn to Luke chapter 4 if you don't mind. Luke chapter 4, not your uh, typical Christmas text, but that's okay. Because we want to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus right at the very beginning of his ministry. And uh, Luke chapter 4 provides us some tremendous insight there. I do have an announcement for you. I usually hold those to the end, but I want to give you this one now. Uh, We have a student pastor candidate that uh, we will be bringing before you on the weekend of June 7th, 8th, and 9th. His name is Paul Mansfield. His wife's name is Sarah. They have two children. Their oldest daughter, Olivia, is six. Uh, Their son is Sean. He's about 20 months old. Uh, Sarah is a musician, and she teaches music in the public schools. Uh, They are currently serving a church in Iredell County or Statesville, Mooresville area, about two hours from here. We have uh, went through a pretty extensive process, um, and we believe, uh, when I say we, our leaders, our finance team, our personnel team, uh, deacons, and uh, all of our leadership, uh, we are together, and we believe this is the man that God is calling to Hyde Park. Not only that, Paul believes that as well. So, on that weekend, we'll have a whole schedule of opportunities for you to meet and get to know them. If you are the parent of a teen, or if you're a teen, uh, I especially want you to be available on that weekend. We're looking right now maybe a Saturday afternoon kind of meet and greet, pizza party, something. I don't know. We're still getting all that worked out. But I would love for you to be able to free up time to be here and be available for that. And then on that Sunday evening, uh, both services Sunday morning, he'll have an opportunity to speak to you. And you get to hear his heart, and um, that Sunday afternoon on the 9th at 6.30, we'll have a call conference, and we'll ask for the church to consider calling him as our student pastor. There are profiles of him out in the uh, vestibule, out in the welcome area out there, some little sheets of paper. It's in your bulletin as well, if you got your bulletin in your email this morning. He is a Southeastern Seminary graduate. He has his Master's of Divinity in Student Ministry. He has a real heart for reaching kids, uh, and also getting them involved in missions. Um, Where he's been serving, he's been very, very effective in helping teenagers get involved, not only in the ministries of the church, but also in missions local and abroad. So I think he's gonna be a tremendous asset to our church. So June 7th through the 9th, I hope uh, that all of you will be available to kind of meet and greet on that weekend. Luke chapter four, let's pick it up in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, 
This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not this, is not this Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard that you've done in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine that came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who's a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill of their town, which was built, so that they could throw him down from the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on their way. Father in heaven, we are deeply grateful for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And Father, all across the nation and even all across the world this week, many people will be talking about Christmas And great many people will be talking about gifts. And a great many families will be getting together and and sharing a meal. And there'll be fellowship and there'll be laughter. For some, there'll be sadness. But Father, this week, the word Christmas is on our lips and on our mind. But yet, Father, we have to wonder, is Christ really part of the celebration this week for most people? Father, you sent your son to this world, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in a filthy cattle stall, grew up in perfection, began his ministry. And Father, as we look at his ministry this morning, we see power, but we also see a great message. And Father, many people are missing out on this message. So Father, guide us this morning, and may you be exalted. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We had some interesting statistics this past week about the celebration of Christmas in our country. And I was shocked at the high percentage of how many people in our country actually do celebrate Christmas. I actually would have thought it was much lower than this. But the statistics say that 91% of Americans this week will celebrate Christmas somehow, some way. Whether that be sharing gifts, whether that be getting together with their family. But the idea of what's bringing us all together and the idea that we're all focused on is this idea of Christmas. And I have to wonder, in those households, by far the overwhelming majority of households that are celebrating Christmas, do they have any idea what Christmas really is? And I would offer to you no. I would offer to you that the majority of the 91% have no idea what Christmas is really all about. They see the manger scenes. They they see a scene something like this with a a baby wrapped up in cloth laid in what looks to be a feed trough. And they see wise men standing around and they see statues and paintings and everything under the sun that's saying something about Christmas. But when they open those gifts on Christmas morning, 
The whole idea of exchanging gifts is to point to one particular gift, and do they know what that gift is? I would say none. The statistics say that only less than 35% of that 91% even understand what Christmas is. They did a poll. They asked people about what does Jesus Christ have to do with Christmas? And the majority of people don't know. I wonder if even said the church that Christmas has been hijacked for some other purposes, certainly for commercialism, certainly to sell more products. I understand that. Certainly to sell more wrapping paper and bows and gifts, and I, I, I get that. More Christmas trees. It's a, a matter of fact, our whole economy kind of looks at Christmas to see, okay, how well is the economy doing? Well, the question is, has Christmas, and right there in that word we have Christ, has Christmas become something totally different? And in your mind this week and all that you have to do, because, man, I know you've got all your Christmas shopping done. Man, there's a few out there. God bless you. I wish I could say amen to that. Uh, But in all of our shopping and all of our going and all of our clicking on Amazon, have we missed something here? I believe we have. What would they be talking about? That that 91% on Sunday morning and and, uh, next Saturday morning, Christmas Day, the day after Christmas and the few days after, what would we be talking about this week? Are we, are we going to be more focused on getting just the right gift? Is Jesus going to be part of, those, of, of the way we're thinking? Is it going to be part of the conversation? I have to wonder. I wonder if what we'll be talking about, that 91%, if what they'll be talking about is, is that box under the tree what I really hope that it is? Will they be thinking about the new year and some new goals that they need to make? Well, would they be thinking about cleaning up the house and taking all the decorations down? Some of you are already stressing about that, aren't you? You just put them up, and now you're already thinking about, oh, i got to put all that back in the attic. i got to take all that down. Maybe I'm speaking for myself here. Maybe that's me. Just me. I don't know. But what are they thinking about? And is Christ part of their thinking? Maybe that empty feeling that they knew too well is going to come back. You see, the thing about the Christmas season is you're so busy thinking about gifts and parties and food and all that, that emptiness that you've been feeling, that there's something missing in your life. Because of all the busyness and all the activity, that emptiness has been kind of gone for a while, hadn't you? You kind of felt good. You've had what we call to be the, the Christmas spirit, right? But it's interesting. As we get close to Christmas Day and we open the presents, you know how this feels. We, you open all the presents, and then there's the gift that you've been wanting. And literally, that very same day, you feel empty again, don't you? Maybe, maybe the gift that the kids have been bugging you to death about, that you bought for them, is now laying over in a corner forgotten about within hours of opening it. And now you're fatigued, you're tired. You've realized that yet again you've spent more money than you should have spent and those bills are getting ready to come. You start thinking about all that. And there's this emptiness in you. And I'm wondering if, if, if the two are connected. I'm wondering if the emptiness and the fatigue, did you know that the days after Christmas are some of the most days, high days for depression and suicide? Did you know that? 
That for many, the Christmas season is not about celebration. It's about significant loss that they've been through even this year. And, and so instead of having a merry heart that flows from a changed life in Christ, they are depressed and down as they've ever been. And the days after Christmas are even worse. So I wonder if the emptiness, the brokenness, the fatigue, I wonder if that's connected with missing Christ in the very season that's meant to celebrate his birth. Do you think those two are connected? Do you think our expectations about Christmas and even about Jesus is what's causing us to have the fatigue and the depression and the emptiness? Well, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, and Jesus has gone off into the wilderness, and Satan meets him out in that wilderness, and Satan tempts him for 40 days and 40 nights. Not just three times, but day and night, over and over again, Satan is tempting Jesus to simply throw in the towel because Satan knows that Jesus is a threat. He's the Son of God. Jesus conquers those temptations. He, he leaves the wilderness, and he goes to the area of Galilee. If you look at a map... You have Jerusalem down here. Straight up north, you have this big lake. We call it a sea in the Bible, but it's, it's actually a lake called the, the Sea of Galilee. And around that sea is several towns that if you read through the Gospels, you'll hear the names of these towns come up quite often. You'll hear towns like Magdala, Tiberias, Genesaret, and then this particular town that Jesus spends a lot of time in, Capernaum. And these are all around the lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee. Well, down to the north, even within the Galilean region, is a town called Nazareth. And, and Nazareth is unique in that Jesus grew up in that town. Now, Nazareth is part of Galilee, but it's on the northern edge of it. So, so Jesus has been ministering around the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and he's been doing miracles, he's been teaching, he's, been, he's got a message to proclaim, and he's been doing miracles to kind of support that message. And then he makes his way to his hometown. Now, you would imagine that if there's ever been a place that would accept Jesus for who he is, that would listen to Jesus, it would be his hometown. I mean, they, they watched Jesus grow up at the feet of Joseph in the carpenter's shop. If anybody's going to embrace Jesus, it would have to be his hometown. They've already heard about what he's done in Capernaum. They already know that this carpenter's son is performing miracles. He's giving the blind back their sight. He's giving their hearing back. He's, there's, even, there's even stories circulating that Jesus has actually raised people from the dead. Now, anybody that knows anything about God knows that that's things that only God can do. So what is it about this son of Joseph, this carpenter's son? Well, the people of Nazareth are very interested to see Jesus come to their town and do some of the great miracles that he's been doing everywhere else. I mean, you would expect that he would do some amazing things in his hometown because that's his home crowd. There's something about going home to familiar surroundings. You're accepted for who you are, right? People know you. Jesus has been performing miracles, but he's also been proclaiming a message. And the miracles that he performs reveals his identity, but the message that he has to proclaim is what changes lives. It was, say, it was true then, it's true now. We look back at the miracles he did, 
And we have to come to the conclusion that, that Jesus is more than just some kind of teacher. He's more than a prophet, and the Bible declares clearly and repeatedly that Jesus is both God and man. 100% God, 100% man. I know that's terrible math, but the fact of the matter is it's true. And if this God-man has a message, then that, be a, that needs to be a message that we listen to, especially this week, because I believe our focus is getting hijacked to lesser things. Take a look at verse 14. It says here, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. If you back up into chapter 4, verse 1, look what it says there. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. If you back up into chapter 3, guess what you find over there? Verse 23 or 22. It says, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form. When Jesus comes to do these works of miracles and this message that he's got, he's empowered with the Holy Spirit, which means that Luke and Matthew, and Mark, and John are all telling us the same thing. Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. And his message is a powerful message because that message is backed with incredible works of power. Turn over to Mark chapter 1. Let's listen to the message that Jesus is proclaiming in Galilee. Now Mark 1 is exactly the same setting as Luke 4. Now Mark doesn't give us the account of Jesus in Nazareth at the synagogue, but he does give us the account of his teaching in, in the area of Galilee, which also includes Nazareth. Now listen to this long, complicated message that Jesus is teaching and proclaiming. Look at verse 14, Mark 1, 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. Are you ready? Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the message. So, so Jesus is healing people. He, he's, he's giving sight back to blind people. He's giving lame people who can't walk the energy and the ability to walk and to run. And then those signs and miracles are accompanied with a powerful message. And you want to know what the powerful message is? The message is simply this. Repent and believe. Everywhere he goes in Galilee, same message. Repent and believe. The same message that the apostles will proclaim. The same message that Paul will proclaim. The same message that Peter will proclaim. Repent and believe. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Nothing really hidden here. Repent means change of mind, leading to a change of heart. Jesus is proclaiming the exact same message all through Galilee. But what's interesting about Nazareth is, is his hometown is more interested in his miracles than his message. Because they have some expectations on Jesus before he ever gets there. But Jesus is interested in telling you how your life can be changed. Now get this. This church can provide a lot of things to you as an individual. We, we can provide love. We can love you right where you are. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you look like, regardless of what you've done, this church will love you right where you are. This church will tell you the truth. I will tell you the truth. Th this church... We'll, we'll be a friend to you. We'll help you with whatever you're dealing with. We'll help you with, if you're addicted, if you're, you're struggling to make ends meet, we will come alongside you and we will do what we can do to help you. 
This church, we can gather together. We can point you to, and point you to God. We can exalt Him together. We can sing together. We can read God's Word together. We can do all these things together. And there's all kinds of things that this church can do on your behalf. But let me tell you what this church cannot do. This church cannot change you. Only you, only you can accept the change that Jesus is offering. Get this. Jesus is not going to force himself on anybody. I can't force you to believe. I can't force you to repent. I can't force you to have a change of mind. All I can do is provide the truth to you, love you, but you must be willing to change. But here's the amazing thing. If you want to change some things in your life, then this message is for you. Jesus says, repent, change, and believe. Go back to Luke. Let, let me tell you about what these people chose in his hometown. Because his message is the same. They've already heard about his miracles. Listen to what happens, verse 14. So Jesus comes in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. There's reports going everywhere about him. Pick it up in verse 16. He comes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Now, when Jesus would go into these towns, the first thing he would do is he would go to a synagogue. We see the exact same ministry plan when Paul is planting churches all over Asia Minor. Now, to have a synagogue in your hometown meant you had to have at least 10 Jewish families. So in Nazareth, obviously, we've got at least 10 Jewish families. So when Jesus arrives, the first thing he does is he goes into the temple or into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And when he gets in there, he looks to the attendant, and he says, give me the scroll of Isaiah. So the attendant brings over this massive scroll. Jesus unrolls it, and he's looking for a particular chapter, chapter 61 of Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah 61, the prophet Isaiah made some predictions about the Messiah, that chapter is a messianic set of verses that Isaiah wrote 600 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So Jesus chooses this text and he begins to read it. Listen to verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke records that he rolls the scroll back up and he gives it back to the attendant. So what Jesus reads here is a statement by Isaiah, and Isaiah is talking about the Messiah. Now understand the Jewish people have been looking for this Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They, they could go back and read the prophets, both major, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and minor prophets, Malachi, and they could read these prophets, and these prophets would give a, a profile of who this Messiah would be. Not only what he would do, but his ministry. The, the Jewish people knew that he would be, obviously, a Jewish man. He would be in the line of David. They knew that, that this man was going to be able to do marvelous things, and this man was going to be able to unite the nation of Israel back together, and that, that this Messiah would be their king and that he would reign forever. They all, they knew that, and they'd been looking for him for years. But they had no idea that in the synagogue on that day that Jesus is going to say what he's getting ready to say. 
Because in that synagogue on that day, after reading Isaiah 61, Jesus says this in verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Talk about an explosive moment. Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son, is the Messiah that Isaiah predicted? Jesus' message here in the synagogue on that day was to reveal his identity. Now, he's already been revealing his identity through the miracles and the amazing things that he'd been doing, but listen to the ministry of the Messiah. This is what the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah to do. Look at this. Proclaim good news to the poor, to give liberty to the captives or those who have been imprisoned, to give sight to the blind, not just the physically blind, but also those who are spiritually blind. And to go after the oppressed and set them free. And then verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's referring back to Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. The Jewish people were taught through the law that every 50 years, every 50 years, the Jewish people were going to celebrate the year of Jubilee. And during that year of Jubilee, your debts would be forgiven. If if you owed someone money and you hadn't paid it off yet, they were forgiven. If your land was taken from you because you were too poor to pay off your debt, your land was given back to you. So Jesus says, in relation to Isaiah and the prophecy about Messiah, he says that this Messiah is going to run towards broken people. This Messiah is going to help people who are poor. This Messiah is going to set people free who've been captive. This Messiah is going to be the Messiah who goes to those who are oppressed and gives them freedom. And it's going to be like the year of Jubilee. When this Messiah comes, debts are going to be forgiven. Joy is going to be part of his arrival. And then Jesus says in that synagogue, I'm the guy. (laughs) Now, there have been other people who'd said the same thing. There were other people who claimed to be Messiah, to be fulfillment, but it wasn't long before people realized he's a charlatan, he's a liar, his works don't back up his words. But this Jesus, he's got the works and he's got the words, and in his hometown, he says to his hometown, I am Messiah. And what have we seen in Jesus' life up to this point? What will we see all through the Gospels? Well, we'll see Jesus going to the poor. We'll see him release captives. We'll see him hang out with lepers. We'll see him touch people that no one else would touch. We'll see Jesus doing exactly what Isaiah said that he would do. But you know what I realized about this text after I've read this text many a time? You you know what I realized this week for the very first time? That yes, In that synagogue on that day, Jesus was saying he is Messiah, but he was saying something else. If Jesus has come to proclaim good news, if he has come to set liberty, if he has come to to let people recover their sight, guess what? The people in the synagogue that day are poor, blind, broken, oppressed. Not only is Jesus fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, but he's also saying at the same time, I am here for you. I'm here in Nazareth for you. You see, you need a change in your life. 
You need a change in your life. And I am here to proclaim a message that's going to change your life. But the reality is, will those people in that synagogue on that day choose to let Jesus change their life? Well, let's see what happens. Well, initially, verse 22, they all spoke well of him. They marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said to themselves, is this not Joseph's son? Now, what are they, what are they wrestling with? Well, on the one hand, I think they're impressed by this long lost son of Nazareth who's wandered off and has come home, the carpenter's son. I think they're kind of impressed that Jesus has the wherewithal to walk right up in the synagogue, take Isaiah 61 and say, this is me. This is talking about me. So they're impressed, but I don't think they're convinced. Are you not Joseph's son? That very statement tells us that they've not come to the reality of Jesus' true identity yet. They, they don't really understand that Jesus is more than just a carpenter's son. Did you know that the 91% of the households that will be celebrating Christmas this week think of Jesus as nothing more than some guy? Some guy born in a feed trough, if they know that much at all. And if you begin to have a conversation with them about who Jesus is, they're like, well, yeah, he's, he's just some guy. That's exactly what's happening in the synagogue. They're saying, oh, this is, just, this is just Joseph's son, right? I mean, is he really the Messiah? Listen to what Jesus says to them. It is really astonishing how Jesus replies. He says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What you have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now, what, is, what does that really mean? Jesus pulls a proverb. It's not a proverb in the book of Proverbs. It's just a proverb, a popular saying that people would say, especially about prophets or someone who would come into town with a big message, and they would say, okay, if you're all that, then you just heal yourself then. If you, if you can do all these things, then physician, heal yourself. But the real issue that Jesus is uncovering here is what they expected of him to do. You see, they had heard the healings in Capernaum. They had heard about what he was doing up in Genesis Red. They heard about Tiberius, and they're thinking, Jesus, our hometown boy, we got a connection with him. He's going to come into our town, and he's going to heal everybody. He's going to provide maybe even some manna and some fish. He's going to take care of us because we're close. We're his people. Their expectations was a Jesus who provided whatever they wanted. But what Jesus wanted to provide them was a message that I'm not so sure they wanted to hear. Listen to what else he says. He says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. How can Jesus say that? Well, you just have to go back in the Old Testament and you'll find out. All those prophets that were sent by God, they go to their hometown, how are they treated? Horribly. Then notice what else he says. There were two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And these two prophets were held in high regard among the Jewish people. And Jesus says, remember Elijah? The ministry that God gave him, the, that God sent him. But when God allowed a famine in the land, there were people everywhere, widows everywhere that were starving to death. But God only sent Elijah to one. 
And it's in that household that Elijah miraculously provided food by God's hand to this one single widow, and this one single widow just happened to be a Gentile, not a Jew. Well, what about Elisha during his ministry? Elisha is sent out with a message from God and a ministry that God had called him to. There were many people in Israel with leprosy, but God only sent him to one to heal him. As a matter of fact, if you look at Jesus' ministry, you will find that there were many people who didn't get healed. There were many people, many lepers, many people who were lame that Jesus didn't heal. Why is he bringing all this up? Because at the time of Elisha and Elijah's ministry, Israel was at one of the lowest parts points of their history. They were, complete, they were in complete rebellion against God. So if you're sitting in the synagogue that day and you're hoping that Jesus is going to perform some tricks, going to pull some things out of his magical hat, wave his magical wand and make everybody's life easier. If you're sitting in the synagogue that day and you hear what Jesus says here, you come to the realization that Jesus didn't come into your town to do what you thought he was there to do. And you know what they respond with? Anger. They, they started out being impressed, but now they're getting rather angry. Look at verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, and they drive him out of town, and they drive him to the edge of a cliff, and they're going to throw him over that cliff. They're going to kill the very guy who just said he's Messiah, the very guy that they've been waiting on. Why would they do that? Why would they react with such anger and hate? Because this is not the Messiah that they want. And the message that this Messiah has, they don't want anything to do with. You know what that message was? Repent and believe. All the folks that are going to be celebrating Christmas this week have all kinds of expectations about what Christmas is going to be like. Am I going to get the new electronic device? Am I going to get this? Am I going to be able to do this? Are we going to be able to have this time together? Are we going to be able to be together as a family and it not break out into chaos? All these expectations, but none of the expectations about Christmas for the vast majority of people have any connection to Jesus. And that's why we are empty at the end of the Christmas season. That's why your heart is broken, even though you got the greatest gift. You got a brand new car or a brand new computer or a brand new whatever. That's why after you open it, there's that initial rush of excitement, but doesn't it kind of die off pretty quick? You know why that is? It's because Jesus has lost the preeminence of Christmas. Because the reality is if you've got Jesus in your life, you've got all that you need. And whether you get another computer or another car, that's just icing on the cake. But the reality is, is I've got Jesus in my life. I don't really need anything else. I don't need the world's philosophy. I don't need its politics. I don't need anything. And, and the more I walk in this life and the more troubles that I face and the more hardships that I have to go through, I realize I come back to this reality over and over again. If I've got Jesus, he's enough. 
The majority of the world is looking for some item in a wrapped box to fulfill them. You're looking for something this week that's going to be opened in a box or some relationship you're going to get to spend time in. You're looking for that to fulfill you, yet you know, you know that it won't because no Christmas before now, all the way back as long as you can remember, has ever given you any complete fulfillment. These people in Nazareth were hoping to be fulfilled by simply having their physical lives touched. And Jesus is saying, what you really need is to have your life changed. Repent and believe. You know what the message of Christmas is? Repent and believe. You know what the message of the Bible is? Repent and believe. You know what Paul taught? Repent and believe. And we can sing all the songs and we can get together week after week, but it comes down to one single moment in one single space of time as to whether you're going to allow the Messiah to change you. Because I can talk about him till I'm red in the face. I can tell you how he's changed my life. I can tell you the difference that he's made. I can tell you that there's nothing greater than him. But it comes down to a single moment in time as to whether you're going to believe and repent. Will you allow this king to change your life. We must be willing to change. And the wonderful story of Christmas is, is if you want to be changed, you want to be free from that addiction, you want to have your marriage healed, you want to have your family healed, you want to have forgiveness or extend forgiveness to someone else, guess what? Jesus, the whole purpose of Christmas is repent and believe. I don't know what you're running after, but you're running after something. There's something you're running after that you're hoping is going to fulfill you. This brought chaos into your life, hadn't it? Well, that's what stuff other than Jesus does. So I'll leave you with the question this morning, the very message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is repent and believe. Repent means that this Messiah is Messiah, there is no other. I'm not going to look for another God. I'm not going to look for something else to fulfill my life other than Him because He's all that I need. And then I'm going to put my faith in Him. I'm going to believe in Him. I'm going to ask Him to change my life, and He'll do it because He's been doing it generation after generation after generation. So the question is, will you repent and will you believe? Father, we thank You for the Christmas season. We thank them for the beauty of your word, the power of it. And we ask, Father, that in this moment, that there would be, that there would be some here today who would realize that everything that they're going to experience this week, if it's not connected back to you, it's going to be empty. If Christmas has no meaning for us two days after, then the problem is not the presence. The problem is we haven't repented and we haven't believed. If we're just as empty Christmas Day as we were last Christmas Day, then maybe, maybe just like the people in Nazareth, we're expecting things from you, but we're not believing in you. And we're not surrendering to the change that you want to make in our life. Father, there are people here in this room today that are addicted. There are people in this room today that are broken. There are people in this room today that are depressed. 
There are people in this room today where their marriage is completely off the rails. There are people in this room today that there is no iPad or car with a bow on it gonna fix the deepest desires of their heart. And so the message is, repent and believe. Father, may they respond today to you. May they surrender fully and completely to you. And may this Christmas season be the best one ever, regardless if there's a gift under the tree or not, because the greatest gift has already been given. Lord, change lives here today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.